This morning, obviously, you can tell that we are not in Mark. <laughs> we are in Romans. Uh, but we wanted to take this weekend, um, particularly uh, in Cross Point Coast, we've taken this weekend to celebrate the mission of the church, both within the context of the local church, but also within the context of the globe, right? The idea that we are sent into wherever we are with the message of the good news of the gospel. We have that to go with us, whether that's into your workplace or whether that's overseas or whether that's uh, to, to school, to college and different things that are coming up. We have this mission to take the good news of the gospel with us. Um, this morning we're talking about mission. And so if I were to ask you this morning, what is the mission of the church? And I said you could only give me one word answer. There's a lot of different things that we could come up with that would be faithful, that would be from Scripture, that would be uh, true. A lot, of, a lot of words. You could say discipleship. If you're thinking about um, Jesus' call and his mandate to go and make disciples, you could think about love, right? Jesus' call for us to love our neighbor and love God. But what I would say today is, is another word that would be faithful would be worship. The mission of the church today is worship. It's the worship of our God. It's the making much of Him. And Chris, we, did, we didn't really coordinate that. And that's one of the cool things that God does sometimes. Is Sometimes in, in the prayer of confession, He gives us a little prelude to what's coming in the message. But the idea that it's our spiritual act of worship to be transformed and conformed to the image of Christ, man, that's beautiful. That's compelling. That's what the world needs. They need Christ. We need Christ, right? We need to be enraptured and enamored with love for Him. And so this morning, we talk about worship. You see, our mission flows out of our worship for the one who is worthy of worship. Jesus Christ. We've seen it in Mark already. We've seen the way that he comes in, he presents himself, and now he's on the move, and he's, and he's changing lives, and he's seeing people, and they are being transformed. They are being transformed from fishermen to fishers of men. They are being transformed from guys who didn't have uh, a lot of things going for them. They, they, the one day, they didn't, weren't even catching fish. And yet, God called them and now they're following him. And so now we get to see what is the mission of the church today? We get to worship the one who is worthy, Jesus. Before we get into more of the preaching, I have a little teaching to do. So some of the language that we use at Cross Point Coast is, is new and some of it's different. We talk about gospel rhythm sometimes. And, and so that idea of celebration and connection and community and contribution, right? The things that we are called to do with our lives. To celebrate the story of God, connect that story, his story, to our story so that we can connect it to the story of those that are around us. And then as soon as that story is connected, now we find ourselves in this community of people that are sinners saved by grace. And guess what? They don't stop sinning. Like we don't stop sinning and, and letting each other down. And yet we, we get to operate in the grace that God has given us. And so we become a community of people gathered at the foot of the cross, pointing each other to Jesus and then our lives become this contribution, the contribution to the telling of this good news. And so that's where we're really focusing this morning. But we also have uh, the rhythms of mission. So we have a couple different ideas of what does it look like to be on mission. One of the things that we say is we, we have a sending mission. 
We would, we would call people to go and, and lay down their lives to be sent. So the sending mission has Crosspoint Coast at both ends of the rope. So we would be here praying that God would send people, and then some of you would actually go somewhere else with the gospel and be sent. One of the best examples we have is the Fast family. We're thankful for them. They, they came and they said, hey, we want to plant with you. And then about three weeks into planting, they said, we feel like God's called us to Portland. And I said, man, you need to check that again because we need people to plant this church. And they said, we really feel that. And so we prayed with them and, we, and they said, yeah, we're going to go. And so we sent them. And so we have the church here and the church on the other end. And they are doing a gospel work of ministry in Portland, which is if you've ever lived in the Pacific Northwest, and what's crazy is we have a lot of people here who have lived in the Pacific Northwest, you know that it's a different culture than what we experience here in the South. Right? In the South, everybody goes to church. Everybody's a Christian. In the Pacific Northwest, it's not like that. You are ostracized if you confess to believe in something like that. And so they're doing it in, in Portland, Oregon, and, and they're in the high schools reaching the kids with the gospel message that's going to transform and change their lives. And so we sent them. So that's that sending mission. We also believe in uh, the discovery mission, which would be more like your short-term mission, like to, to go over to a new place to, to find people who are doing the gospel work, to partner with them, to labor alongside them. Maybe it's going for a week and building a home that's needed or or going and, and serving at an orphanage, or, or the different options that we have. So this discovery mission, how are we going to go and come alongside someone for a little bit of time and, and minister the gospel with them? We also believe in community mission. All of us here have a mission in Brevard County, and particularly in Cape Canaveral, to share this good news that we have. To share this good news that we have when we go to the store, Right? It's this idea that there are already missions that are happening here. There's already food banks that are happening here. How do we come alongside these things that are ministering to our community with the hope of the gospel? And not in a way that is, is compelled because we feel guilty or because we have to, but in a way that is, no, God has done this great thing for me. And I get to share that in tangible evidence, right? tangible things that I can do with my community to point them to Jesus. And lastly, we have everyday mission. You see, all of us have been called to worship God. And if we believe that the mission of the church is worship, then every day we are called on mission. Everyday mission is first and foremost, I have to speak the gospel to my own heart because when I wake up in the morning, it's not the first thing that I want. The first thing that I want is usually a cup of coffee. Right? We can... A lot of us have that same thing, but maybe it's something else, but often it's not Jesus. And so I have to remind myself, and I have to remember who God is. And as I remember in His Word and in Scripture and in prayer, I rejoice in the good things of God. So everyday mission, my own heart first, my household, we get to remind each other in our households. Maybe, that's, maybe for you that's a family, maybe it's a spouse, maybe it's a roommate. Maybe you live alone or you have a dog. That dog might need to be reminded of who Christ is, right? But whatever it is in your household, what is the community that God has put you in that you get to remember and remind each other and point each other to Jesus? Everyday mission in your workplace, in the places you, you work, play, and live. And so these are the different missions that we have.
With that in mind, I want to read again Romans 10, 13 through 15. It says, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And Paul is laying down the logic here. He says, how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. We're going to backtrack. Okay? We're going to start at the very end, and then we're going to work our way up to the top. It's interesting. But this is, this is the way that God's kind of revealed it to me to share with you guys. So this morning, I want to look at, hey, what is the first question here, or the last question here? It says, how are they to preach unless they are sent? You see, Matthew 28, 18 through 20, we already referenced it slightly, but this great commission that Jesus gives. Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Luke 10, 16 says, The one who hears you hears me, and the one who rejects you rejects me, and the one who rejects me rejects him who sent me. You see, the, the first and foremost thing that we need to know is that we have been sent by God with this message. We have been sent by God with the good news. You cannot go on mission unless you know the one who has sent you. Grab that, because that's important. You cannot go on mission unless you know the one who sends you. There's only one motivation that will sustain the cost to live on mission, and it is costly. We saw some of that this past week where Jesus calls the disciples. They leave everything. They leave their work. They leave their families. They leave their identity. Peter got a new name. Like, like they leave everything to follow. So what is it that's going to drive them to follow? What's going to drive us to follow? And we have a lot of reasons to go on mission. Sometimes it's this idea just to help others. Sometimes it's the, the hope of making things better. The idea that, that people could be saved. Sometimes it's, it's guilt, right? We feel like, well, we have all this. We need to go and give back. And so there's this guilt that's laden in it. But the one motivation that will sustain us on a life of mission that is every day, every hour, every minute, is knowing who sent us. Knowing the God who has laid down his life to rescue us and knowing that he does that same thing for others is what sends us on mission every day. But if we lose track of that, and we do, we have to remember, we have to come back to that and say, God, would you remind me again of who you are so that I don't go out of a different obligation, so that I don't go out of a different motivation, but I would go compelled to worship you and to call others to worship you. We have to know who it is that sent. Only knowing and worshiping Jesus, the one who sends us, will motivate us to complete the mission. The second question out of our passage, if you're working bottom to top, is this one. And how are they to hear without someone preaching? Mark 1, 14 and 15, our passage from last week, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent 
and believe in the gospel. That's the message that he preached. And maybe today when you hear preach, you're like, yes, off the hook, I'm not a preacher, I don't need to do that. But the reality is that all of us have been called to proclaim the gospel, to be preachers of the gospel. Maybe you're not called to vocational ministry, maybe you're not called to be a pastor, maybe you're not called to be a vocational missionary, right, where that becomes everything that you do. But all of us, as soon as we've received the gospel, become proclaimers of that same gospel. And so we need to know what that gospel is. We need to be able to preach it. It's got to be more than just, I love Jesus and he loves me. That is beautiful and good. Why? Why? Why did he love you? Why did, do you love him? And so what I want to give you this morning is just this idea that maybe, maybe you know from growing up in the church, but maybe you've never heard it before, but the Romans' road to salvation is, is really a, a simple way for us to preach the gospel. It's this beautiful thing, and, and we get to go into so much more, but it's just five verses, and they're, they're pretty short, so I'm just going to walk you through. So if you're already open to Romans, go to Romans 3. Romans chapter 3. Whenever we preach, we have to preach a gospel that's explicit, and, and it has to start with the bad news. Romans 3.10 says, as it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. Rather than feeling condemnation when you hear this, feel freedom, because you already know that you're not righteous. <laughs> like, we all know that about ourselves. It should not feel like condemnation. It should feel like, yeah, that's true. Okay, I can, I can respond to that. Romans 3.23, right? Just a little further down in that same chapter. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. If we're talking about worship of God... Right? We have to recognize that created beings, we have failed. We have fallen short of the glory that is due to Him. We've tried to grab that glory. We've tried to own it for ourselves. For we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 5.8, so maybe it's a page or two farther in. Romans 5.8 says, But God shows His love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Listen, if you think that you are not a sinner, then somehow you have negated the fact that Christ has died for you because you're saying, yeah, I needed some help. I needed a little bit of Jesus. But the reality is that if we recognize these first two verses are true, that I am a sinner, there is no righteousness in me, then I need utter salvation. Like I need every bit of Jesus to save me. And He has done that for us. He died for us while we were still in our rebellion. Even before you and I said, yes, I believe it. He died for us. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. You see, our sin, the bad news meant that we deserved the penalty of death. We deserved to be separated from God rather than joined to Him because of our sin. And yet the free gift to us, the costly gift to Jesus, was that He laid down His life that we would be saved to reconcile and save sinners like us. This is where it starts to get really exciting. Right? Because those first couple things are true. 
And if they're true, then this is true. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is life in Christ. And then finally, Romans 10, 9 and 10. It says, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. This is where we drive to. This is what we're preaching. This is what we're saying with our words and with our actions and and with our obedience. We're declaring to a world that needs to hear the good news of the gospel that you are a sinner, I am a sinner, and in and of ourselves we could do nothing, and yet Christ came and gave himself for us that we could be reconciled to a holy God. Out of love for us, he's done this. And so today we would call you to to believe, to confess. This is what it means to preach. So how are they going to believe if they haven't heard what God has said? We all preach something. Will it be Jesus and his gospel? We're all saying something is worthy with our lives. Whether it's Netflix, whether it's our home, whether it's our community, whether it's our family, all of those are good things, right? But the reality is that we need to be preaching this gospel, that it's Jesus and his gospel that is worthy. So the next question, kind of back in Romans 10, the next question as we work our way from the bottom to the top says, and how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? This idea that they have to, we are sent, we preach, and people would hear. We have to hear and we have to do. James 1, 22 and through 25 says, But be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. You see, these two, connected, these two last pieces are connected. The hearing and the believing. They have to play out in this doing. James goes on, For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. God calls us to hear. He calls us to believe. And then that hearing and that believing need to change how we live. It's got to. In his next question, he says, How then will they, care, how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? Belief and obedience. Randy's reading Bonhoeffer's book, The Cost of Discipleship. And if you know some of Dietrich Bonhoeffer's story, it's it's an incredible story. And out of his story, he writes about what it looks like to follow Christ. And he followed Christ even to the point of death. He's a a martyr during World War II. And, and And a believer in who Christ was. And he says this about obedience and belief. He says, only he who believes is obedient, and only he who is obedient believes. Those two things have to be connected. Belief and obedience. We hear and we believe, and then we obey. We walk in that obedience. This is our spiritual act of worship, just like we read in Romans 12 for our confession. Our lives being transformed and conformed out of obedience to Christ. That's how we obey. That's how we believe. 
James 2, 17 through 18, So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, You have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. Our lives, right? When we talk about being on mission, our lives should be a declaration to the glory of God, to the worship of God. It should look like dependence on God for absolutely everything that we have. And so we rejoice in that. This weekend, uh, yesterday, we had a chance to go over to Pinita and uh, do, do a luncheon. And it was beautiful. And Steve McKenzie, who's a pastor at Crosspoint South Orlando, shared with us out of Revelation 5. He was talking about worship being the, the mission of the church. And he was talking about how we need to know who Christ is. And so we've, we've, I've stolen a lot of that this morning, but it, it's beautiful Right? It's got to be what first compels us, is this worship of God. And so I want to finish our time this morning in Revelation 5. Just reading, just seeing what it says, because it's, it's beautiful. Revelation 5, this is John, and he's been given this vision of uh, heaven, and what is taking place in heaven. And in Revelation 5, starting in verse 4, Sorry, starting in verse 3, we'll just start at 1. We'll read the whole thing. Revelation 5. Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within, and on the back sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. As we read that, we, we feel what John's feeling. Like, like if this mighty, perfect angel being can't open the scroll, like who can? If this being that's powerful can't, do this thing, then what are we humans? There's nobody. Nobody's going to be open, able to open this scroll. And this scroll is a redemptive plan of God to redeem a people. And so he's looking around and he sees no one. And so he begins to weep and he's crying. But it goes on. And one of the elders said to me, weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered, so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain, with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll... The four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. You see, when we see Jesus the one who has conquered sin and death, the one who has been, his blood has been poured out to ransom to himself, to save a people. That's what compels us then to live lives of worship with everything that we have and everything that we are. 
That's what compels us to live a life on mission. It's the one thing that can compel us. Everything else will fade away. But worship is going to be forever. This is, this is, Paul, or this is John's vision of what is good, what's the end going to look like. It begins now with our worship. It goes on mission in our worship. And it's all of eternity we will worship the one who is worthy to open the seals. The one who is ransomed for himself from every tribe, tongue, and nation. That's beautiful. This idea, this is the vision of Christ that we need to see, that, we need, that needs to be what compels our, our global mission, our local mission, our everyday mission. All of those need to be compelled by this. Verse 11, Then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. You see, this is where our mission comes from. Our mission comes from our right understanding that this God, this Lion of Judah, has ransomed the people for himself. And if we believe that this morning, we are that people. We rest in that. We rejoice in that. We worship this God who is worthy to receive everything, power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing, and that drives us to live a life of mission. This morning we worship because He is worthy. We worship because we have been invited to give God the glory that He's due. He didn't have to invite us. He didn't have to include us in this plan, and yet He has. And so now we get to live lives of worship to a God who is worthy. We get to participate in that. Not you have to, you get to. You get to. We get to be the church together and proclaim the good news of this God. And we worship now, and we'll worship forevermore. So I'd invite you this morning to join us in this mission as we worship King Jesus. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for this morning. God, we thank you that uh, we've seen you and your word. God, maybe, maybe it's a place that we don't go to very often. Uh, uh, the, the last book, Revelation, it's got a lot of things that are they're kind of crazy and, and hard for us to process. But Lord, what we do see, we see Jesus, the Lion of Judah, the Lamb who was slain. God, and He alone is worthy. He alone is worthy to open the scroll. He is a, alone is worthy of our honor and glory and wealth. God, and so we just give you praise this morning. We thank you for the invitation to worship. We pray that that people would be sent. God, that we as a people, as your church would be sent, that we would know the one who sends us, and that would be what sustains us as we're sent, that we would preach, that we would proclaim the good news. God, that we would hear and believe, and we would call others to hear and believe.
God, would you do this in your church today? Well, we can't conjure this up. We can't make it happen. But we believe that this is what you've called us to do. And so you are doing it. And you've invited us to participate. And we don't have to, but we get to. And so, Lord, I pray that you would stir that in our hearts today. Lord, that, that we would remember the joy of our salvation. God, and that would drive us to share that same joy of salvation with those who need to hear it. We thank you that you're faithful, that we can pray this prayer with confidence knowing that this is your will and that we can walk in it today. In Jesus' name, amen.